I'm Kate Kunkel, the founder of Brain Health Matters, a series of courses, programs, and videos like this, all designed to help you become healthier so your brain can be happier and stronger. If you love animals, you're going to love this show because we're going to be talking about the many ways animal-assisted therapy can help us manage stress, become happier, and boost our memories and our brains. Stay tuned. Brain Health Matters is brought to you by Don't Let the Memories Fade. Learn many enjoyable ways to enhance body, mind, and spirit with simple lifestyle changes that will help you improve your memory and your mind. You can create a healthier, more vibrant future with Don't Let the Memories Fade. Available in ebook and paperback on Amazon everywhere. Taylor Griffin is Executive Director of the Association for Animal Assisted Intervention Professionals. With her doctorate in research psychology focusing on the human-animal bond, Taylor is passionate about bolstering pet therapy with empirical investigation. Taylor is also a dog trainer and a registered handler with pet partners. She's based in Georgia, where her family includes... I think it's seven dogs now, yes, and three cats. It's nine, yes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I thought I had a, a menagerie here. <laughs> Taylor, welcome. I'm so excited to have you here on the show. This is something I've been hoping to talk about for months, and I'm so glad you are able to take the time to chat with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this. What on earth inspired you to work with uh animals as therapy. Yeah. So, um, you know, similar to a lot of people in this field, I kind of had to make it up as I went along. Um, growing up, I loved animals. I was always um, the kind bringing home random strays to my parents and begging to keep them. Uh, but I also knew that I was not cut out for the veterinary field because I often say I'd be crying all day and taking home even more animals than I have now. So, um, and, and I really love humans as well and have seen um, just throughout my life how pets um, and animals can make us better people. So I just knew I wanted to work somewhere at that intersection but didn't know where. Um, I started out in school and my undergrad studying animal behavior and psychology um, and became a dog trainer early in my career, um, then went on to become a mental health counselor and um, brought animals into my practice. But um, from there, I just realized that even with uh, my kind of expertise in both the human and animal world, it was hard to know how to um, bring animals into practice in a professional way and in a way that protected their welfare. So went on and, and wanted to just do all I could um, to make it a clearer path for those both clients and professionals who want to benefit from the human-animal bond. Well, we're very grateful for you because I believe this is an area that is essential I truly believe that our relationship with the animal kingdom is is paramount for me. So um, now you have co-written a, a white paper about the effects of animal-related engagement. What does that exactly mean, animal-related engagement? Yeah, so it is a, a term that we actually coined um, right at the start of COVID. And so we saw something very interesting happen. Um, and in one of my roles, I also work as national director um, of AAI, or Animal Assisted Interventions Advancement at Pet Partners. And so we have um, thousands of volunteer therapy animal teams all over the world. And these people would visit in places like hospitals and schools and senior living homes. Um, and when COVID hit, it was really, really hard on them because they could not visit in the places 
places that they had traditionally been. Um, they had these really meaningful relationships, long-term relationships with some people, and they had to stop. So using their brilliance and their big compassionate hearts, they found new ways to interact. Um, they started doing virtual visits. They started um, sending arts and crafts activities based on their animals or letters from their animals. And we, I think um, we have to say we're shocked to see how impactful it still was. So we did a, a deep dive into the literature to find out that um, it's actually something that started to be studied. Um, just the fact uh, of remembering animals or thinking about animals can make us feel better. So that term animal related engagement um, refers to activities that we do that make us think about the human animal bond. Um, not the same, of course, as interacting with an animal one on one, but still powerful and still a way to um, just spread the word about what animals can do for us if you're not um, having an animal immediately available to you to love on. And you know, there are so many seniors who had animals in their homes, and now they're in a place where they simply cannot have them. So it's nice to know that even say their animal was living with someone else, at least that would also give them the benefit, some benefit of having that interaction still. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you think it sounds kind of um, out there in some regards, but then we even mention it in the white paper when we look at some of the most viewed videos on social media, it's cute animal videos. And we view those for a reason because they make us feel better. And um, so, you know, if we really add some intentionality behind that, then we see there are a lot of benefits available to us. You, you used in the paper the word triggering. Is So is that like the bond that we're triggering? What are we triggering then? Is it a endorphins or what is it? So I think we're still starting to understand that and um, we're encouraging as an association much more research on this because we're just starting to tap in. And, you know, as a researcher myself, I think we are just scratching the surface and even understanding what our one-on-one -on -one interactions with animals can do. But, um, you know, I think it's a mix of things. It's we're thinking about um, maybe what animals in our lives have have done for us. We also are starting to see that um, it's something about viewing the relationship that a person has with their animal. So if I'm bringing my therapy dog Rex on camera with you and talking about my love for him, you are benefiting by watching my bond. So maybe you aren't necessarily bonding with, with Rex through the camera, but by seeing what our relationship means to each other, um, you still get those feel-good reactions um, and, and maybe potentially even have something triggered in you to think about, um, you know, what animals have meant for you in your life. Now, my work is focused on the prevention of cognitive decline. And um, part of that is improving mental health because without good mental health, it's really, it's much more likely to have cognitive decline later in life. How can pet therapy help with that? There's so much in the research that has talked about how um, being with therapy animals can assist with mental wellness. And what I love about it is it can help with presenting mental health problems. So there are studies that look at therapy animals for um, you know, severe mental health diagnosis, anxiety, depression, um, you name it. And there is also research to suggest that even if you're saying, I feel pretty good, and you're at a general place of wellness, things like corporate visits where, you know, you come into the room and you don't have any presenting problems, but after interacting with the therapy animals, you still say that you feel better. So um, we believe there's a protective aspect of it too. Um, in my work as a mental health therapist, you know, I saw an animal's ability to really ground us in the present moment. Um, you know, we tend to be so quickly moving in this society today and we don't stop to, to check in. Um, and I think animals 
also have a way of almost being our thermometers, emotional thermometers, if you will. Um, you know, I often say I have a Shih Tzu named Walter, who is a very sensitive guy. And um, I quickly learned after rescuing him that if I was in a, a bad mood, if I had some anger inside of me, you know, which I don't present outwardly, but I'm frustrated about something, I'll look over at Walter and he looks like he's in trouble. And of course, I'm not directing any frustration towards him, nothing but love, but he's picking up on my feelings and showing me how I feel. So it challenges me to stop, get centered, invite Walter over for some love, and we both, you know, shake it off. Um, so if we can start to tap into what our animals are picking up on in terms of our mental wellness, um, then we can just be much more in tune to taking care of ourselves and preventing, you know, the issues as they as they fester. Yeah, they can spiral completely out of control. Somebody dumped a bunch of kittens off on our property uh, a few weeks ago. And I have to say, Taylor, that they have changed my life. I mean, I've always had yeah. cats and dogs, always, mostly mm -hmm. cats. But these four little kittens watching their antics, because I've never had a bunch of them young like that before. Yeah. But they have redirected my energy. Because yeah. I, I have to admit, I'm a bit of a workaholic. I've got a mission and I'm determined to, to accomplish that mission. But with these little guys, they have forced me because they need the attention and the care. They have forced me to chill. Like yeah. I have seen such a difference in my, I, and I know my heart rate is much lower when I'm playing with yeah. them. They invite you to play as well, which as adults, we, we really um, have lost sight of that. And I think that's a, a kind of new thing. If we look at how we've you know evolved over time, I don't know why we're so adverse to play or we think we're playing when we're doing things like being on social media. And that's not always the same case, you know, for, for what it does for us. But um, I love to watch, you know, like grown people go out and, and play um, fetch with an animal or, you know, if it's a cat playing with a cat toy and how we we kind of um, change when we do that. And it's a safe place for, for playing as an adult too, which is really impactful. Oh, that's, that was the other thing I was going to ask you about because yeah, you're right. People seem to feel like, oh, I'm not allowed to play. We talk about mm -hmm. this inner child stuff, but we don't allow the inner child to come <laughs> out very much. So right. yeah. So stress reduction is, is, I mean, stress is a huge problem in society generally, and it always has been, but in the last two years, holy macaroni, we have a yeah. lot more stress. So now are you able to bring these animals in live again, or what's the scoop? Yes, we are starting to be able to do more of that, which is really um, exciting. It did, and in most places, you know, kind of stop for a while as we were all figuring out what was going on. Um, but at Pet Partners, where our therapy animals are registered, we've always worked with a team of veterinarian and infection, um, disease prevention, zoonosis consideration. So we have had really, really high rigorous standards in place for years um, about, you know, how we safely go into facilities, knowing even before the flu existed and we had to be mindful of that. Um, so fortunately, best practices that are emerging related to COVID specifically already align with what we were doing 10 years ago. And um, as the medical facilities and you know care facilities start to realize that, 
we're able to go back in and be cautious. Um, and it's just being more well-received than ever before. People are so hungry for that connection, um, both our handlers and the people who we're visiting with and our animals. We, we joke a lot about how um, our animals had a really hard time over the last two years because they're used to going out and engaging a lot. Um, so it's starting to pick up and it's, uh, I think it's, we're going to see kind of an avalanche here, you know, of requests coming in now that we realize it's safe. Um, we can't, we'll probably not even be able to keep up with the demand if we're honest. Right. So, so this is going to help alleviate a lot of these mental health issues. Cause I'm, I'm frankly, Taylor worried about people's mental health, even though many people, many places are open and things are, you know, getting a little bit back to normal. There's a lot of mental health leftover issues. And I'm hoping that your animals can help. Um, so what else does in-person animal therapy? We've got stress reduction, we have interaction. For somebody who's already suffering cognitive decline, what can these animals do for us? Yes. So again, uh, it's a kind of, you hear me say it all the time when we're talking about this, this work is that we're starting to understand and we have so much more research to do, but um, we see a, a very interesting thing happen with cognitive decline, with memory um, issues. When we have animals around, um, we see more social interaction um, and more engagement and um, less frustration when animals are around. But, you know, anecdotally, I have to say, uh, I've been uh, in a place um, with my therapy dog, Ivy, She's a 20 pound, very um, silly, flirty miniature poodle. And um, we used to visit in a senior living facility with a special um, memory impairment um, section. And she would go with me every week. And there was um, a person there who could only remember her family members when Ivy was present. Um, there's been another situation where uh, a resident who played piano would not have um, believed that she could play piano. And then when Ivy came, she would get behind it and start playing. So as a researcher, I can't even imagine what's happening there, the complex things that that's being triggered. Um, I think part of it, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll see people talk about their childhood pets um, when they see Ivy and it brings them back to a place where they can recall some memories. I think part of it is just the, the relaxed state that people get in. Um, the pet says, you know, we used to call it like social lubricants um, and in some ways that kind of break down our, our barrier. So um, we have some research that just talks about, you know, the surface level variables, but we also have tons of experiences as an association um, that talk about things far more complex than we can even describe. So if we wanted to help someone who is starting down that path, because it doesn't happen all at once. I think of my own mom, she, it started with little hints where she forgot to turn the stove off and then things yes. like that. And it just got progressively worse. I wonder if having pet around to keep her more engaged might have helped because that was the other thing once they start that decline they tend to pull away from people because they're embarrassed or afraid that they're going to make mistakes Yes, yes, those animals are our non-judgmental companions. Um, and we also are seeing whether it be someone with um, cognitive decline or even, you know, we talked about COVID, um, adults who just had their whole world disrupted. If you have pets around, we are encouraged to say, stay in a sense of routine. You know, uh, my pets don't let me forget when it's time to feed them. <laughs> They're very vocal about that or when they want to go play or go on a walk. Um, so some of that too, when we look at cognitive decline, that routine that animals inspire 
fire can be really, really helpful. Um, and just, you know, keeping ourselves in that routine, that's, that's good for our mental wellness. That's as you were bringing that up, I'm thinking, what if, what if we had a situation where we could have mm, people who are in facilities, do they ever have pets like live in facilities? Have you seen that? Because I'm thinking it would be such a good thing for people who are starting down that path. They might be in there for other reasons. They might be because they have right. physical issues. Yeah. Maybe it would help them become more engaged right, right from the yeah. beginning, even though they're not necessarily there for cognitive decline. Mm -hmm. We have seen that. And there's a um, kind of growing body of facility animals um, who are more resident based. Um, and we are all about that. Of course, with any animal that's coming in and having a job, we have to make sure their welfare is protected and they can't be on the clock all the time. Um, but we do see, you know, things like um, residential facilities where they have a cat and the cat feels like that's just their home. They have tons of people to love on them. They're not, you know, performing a job all day long. And it's really, really helpful. Um, so we definitely encourage it and, and just any facility with an animal, making sure that you know the signs of their stress and are giving them the most enriching um, positive life, then it's it's great for all who are involved. There was some, I can't remember where it was in the material about the robotic dogs. I saw those on a YouTube video and I thought, I don't know, but what do you think about stuffed toys and robotic dogs? You know, I mean, as an animal person myself, I was, of course, kind of suspicious. Is there any way that this um, could be effective? But in research, it's proving to be effective, especially for um, people with some memory impairments. And I think it must go back to the idea of animal-related engagement. Um, you know, it's that we are remembering animals or um, thinking about a child with a toy. You know, it can still be very beneficial to, in your imagination to be caretaking for something. So, um, you know, I, I don't foresee a world where animals will ever be replaced by robotic animals, but I think it can be really helpful. And we're also finding that it can be a great thing um, to serve in the interim. So, you know, if you're waiting on a therapy animal team to become available at a facility, then maybe you can introduce some of these other, you know, op opportunities through animal-related engagement to set the stage while an animal is not available. So now let's go to kids. We've talked about a lot of older people. Again, my concern right now is for the children's mental health. Um, and I think that kids need routine just as much as we and the animals do. What can we learn from animal assisted therapy in terms of ch children's mental health and how we can use that wonderful ability yeah. to uh, help the kids? Absolutely. Well, one of my favorite things when it comes to working with children and with animals is that um, there's no doubt about it. Being around animals helps build empathy and compassion. And so um, that is so important, obviously, for mental health. And when I'm working with children and animals, we're doing a lot of perspective taking. You know, what it, what do you think Rex might be feeling in this moment? Um, we do things with children, learning about appropriate touch, self-care, all of these different life skills um, and, and protective mechanisms that we need to instill in children from a young age. You know, you can't just start talking to them about uh, mental health terms, but you can model so much through the human-animal bond. It can be really impactful. Would you have the ability to have animals in schools on a regular basis? Obviously, they have some th therapy animals that come in occasionally, but I see so many children, their parents just, they can't do it. They just don't have yeah. the financial or time resources to look after animals. Is there a world where we could see that possibility? 
Yes, and it's a world we're hoping to create through um, AAAIP by making therapy animals more available in schools and by um, empowering schools to bring in volunteer therapy animal teams for maybe just a couple hours at a time so that the burden's not always on the staff. Um, but, you know, we, we know the answer is not always for everyone to go out and get a pet. That doesn't work well. You know, like you said, there are pets are, are full-time jobs and unless you have the resources to care for them, um, then it's probably not a good fit. But animals in schools can help so much with things like bullying, reading. I had a, a therapy dog named Charlie who would go into um, the Department of Juvenile Justice and there were um, brilliant young people there who were underserved and never invested in and they would say they can't read and so we would start to work on reading and they were reading to this non-judgmental snoring bulldog <laughs> and over six weeks their reading and fluency scores went so uh, high that we had to double check our data to make sure that we weren't reading something wrong um, and measuring the impact so um, there's so much we we have a um a member of our board of directors, Dr. Dan Dooley, who has therapy animals in his school. And he talks about how when there's been an incident um, and when the child's had some kind of behavioral you know, display and they get pulled from the classroom, if they're able to interact with the therapy animals, they can return to the classroom so much more quickly um, because they have grounded themselves much more quickly with the animals available. I have a cousin who teaches grade six in the public school system in Canada. And there they are um, putting kids with learning disabilities and other issues in with the normal population. And that's that's caused a little bit of a problem for the teachers because, you know, you spend all your time dealing with problems and you don't get right. to spend as much time teaching. So to have that possibility of having the children go somewhere where they could be with these animals, wow, that would be incredible. Yeah, a little decompression. We all need that at times, right? <laughs> Amen, sister. Yes, we do. So um, what can people do to get involved? How can they help? Because you said earlier, we're not going to have enough animals for the need. What can people do to help? So there are so many things that people can do. Number one, if you're interested in, um, in becoming a therapy animal handler, you can do that. It's a volunteer process um, through pet partners or any therapy animal organization that adheres to the field standards. So therapyanimalstandards.org will walk you through um, what that is, is making sure that the welfare of the animal is protected um, and that the safest and most ethical intervention um, is considered at all points of the programming. And we also want to make sure, too, that, that therapy animals are animals who don't just tolerate tolerate their role, but actively enjoy it. And that is um, sometimes a rare animal to come across because, you know, um, some of my pets love me, but they don't necessarily want to go out and, and you know, interact with people. Um, so there's that opportunity you can become a therapy animal team. If you're a professional in so many different um, fields, education, mental health, OT, nurses, dentists, lawyers, we're seeing all different kinds of professionals start to bring therapy animals into their practice. And that can be your animal or partnering with a volunteer team. Um, and you can join AAAIP and we can help walk you through that process. Um, and even if you don't have an animal and you might not be uh, able to do therapy animal interventions yourself, um, there's a, a call for advocacy at Pet Partners. We have a whole program of advocates. Um, and if there's ever an, an human-animal interaction issue um, in your area, we have eyes out for it. And we let you know, we give you model language to talk to people who are in control and empower to, to help um, empower the human-animal bond. Things like um, allowing for animals in domestic violence shelters um, and anywhere else where, where the issues of pet ownership come up, we help empower you to be an advocate for that. When you said about the therapy animals in your own practice, I have to tell a fun little story. I used to have a cat named Curtis. Curtis was a rescue. 
He was found in Las Vegas with 200 other cats in a garage in cages. They were all in cages. Many of them had died. Poor little Curtis. He, he had a lot of uh, issues at first. But when I brought him to Canada and I started teaching harp, I would have him, he was in the house, of course. I would take my students up to the studio and it was without fail. The students who were struggling or who were particularly nervous, Curtis would come on upstairs and plop his body at their feet at the harp. It was incredible. It's like he knew they needed a little comfort, a little distraction, something mm-hmm. to make them feel more comfortable. Yes, he, he helped them get out of their mind and into what they were doing. And it's I, it's just amazing how animals don't have to be taught that. You know, we just have to be taught how to listen to what they're telling us. We do need to listen uh, to everybody a little bit better. Taylor, this has been marvelous. Thank you so much for your time, for your information. I'm going to put all of the links that you just mentioned in the show notes so people can get involved. Thanks again, Taylor. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Brain Health Matters. Be sure to subscribe with your favorite podcast service so that you can get all the latest episodes when they're released. 